You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back, everyone. This is Sean and Steve here for another episode of Across the Romaverse. This is actually our season wrap of the Roma season here on episode 46. Uh, Sean, I can't believe we've recorded 46 episodes this season. It felt like just yesterday we were starting out, not, not sure where this would go when we talked with Brendan and Jimmy. And, and here we are 46 episodes later, uh, a season that was filled with ups and downs and plenty to talk about. So how are you doing today? Yeah, I was just thinking about that this morning when we were coming up with the outline. And I was wondering, what, what, did we start at the beginning of the season or we started a few weeks late into it? I think, I think we were a couple weeks into it because we didn't do any preview uh, episodes yeah. or anything, but we were pretty early in the season, I think. Yeah, so to come up with 46, I mean, started late is definitely more than I expected. But, we, you know, we found our way through it. We navigated through the waters. We found a rhythm. And I'm I'm happy with that. Um, and, yeah, I'm I'm okay. I'm... I'm feeling relief that the season's over and that we can look forward to some of the things that we have in the summer, like not not least of all the Euros. I don't know how that's going to go down, if there's going to be uh, attendances allowed at the matches or if it's going to be empty stadia. It's going to, it might be a bit weird if it's empty, but um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. I'm, uh, you know, I've, I don't, I, I don't have high hopes for Italy in terms of winning it, but I think they will be a player in uh, the later rounds. Um, you know, hopefully with the talent they have, um, I think Italy's rebuilding nicely. So uh, mm. I think the, the Italy as a, a na- one of the host nations did have to guarantee at least, I don't know if it was like 25% capacity. There was some kind of capacity they had to guarantee for that okay. opener on the 11th in Rome uh, between Italy and Turkey. So there should be some fans in the stands barring some unforeseen circumstances with the pandemic, you know, okay. um, going in the wrong direction. So hopefully there'll be some fans in the stands, give some life because I can tell you uh, watching the NHL playoffs here in the States, the, the difference between having, you know, even 7,000 fans um, in a 18,000 seat stadium and, and no fans is just, it's just so different. You know, it just yeah. adds so much more life to the, to the game. So hopefully for a major tournament, we get that uh, in the yeah. Euros. And, um, you know, in, in a, I think in a couple of weeks, you and I, and, and maybe Bren will join, maybe Jimmy will have a Euro preview as we look ahead to covering the Euros a bit too on Kids of Detail too. So you guys could look out for that. Well, yeah, we will. Um, we'll lead off, you know, Roma yesterday finished off their season. Uh, it, like Sean said, in some ways, he's, you know, kind of glad it's over because it was it was hard to cover, especially the last couple of months. Uh, March, April and May uh, gave us plenty to talk about, mostly negative, uh, especially in the league itself. Uh, Roma finished the season in seventh place on 62 points level with Sassuolo after yesterday's 
second half comeback against Spezia on the road. Spezia was up two nothing at halftime. Looked like Roma was uh, in deep trouble in terms of losing Fonseca's final match in charge. Uh, somehow found a way to get two goals in the second half. I don't know about you, Sean. I was uh, I never root against Roma, but yesterday was a day that I would not have minded seeing <laughs> them lose because you know before we came on, you and I were talking about the conference league a little bit. I was kind of hoping yeah. Roma would have a clean slate midweek for Mourinho to you know, really instill his tactics and other things he wanted to work on next year. Well, especially the way that the match played out, you know, after the first half, I was especially rooting for it. Because, you know, if you're going to fail, why not fail 100%? Whereas <laughs> this was the worst combination by the full time, which is that um, Roma actually tried hard and only got a draw against Spezia. Yeah. Um, their reward is, is literally clawing their, their way into the conference league. Yeah. And uh, also elsewhere, Napoli, you know, did the, the one thing we didn't want them to do. They had one job and uh, they failed and they let in Juventus and Milan into the Champions League. So it was, it was really just a whole cocktail of stuff that I didn't want to, didn't want to have. By <laughs> yeah, time. now that you bring up the Champions League race too, I, I remember you and I both said that our least desirable outcome of that Champions League race was uh, Napoli not qualifying and Milan and Juve both qualifying. Yeah. Um, and, and crazy enough, I mean, for someone who started following Calcio in the mid 2000s, when I started, you know, the, the Milan clubs and Juve were the, the powers. I know Juve went through Calciopoli, but they're still the brand name. Um, and to see this is the first time I think since the 09 10 season that all three qualified at the same time uh, mm -hmm. is crazy. I know Italy lost a, a Champions League spot for a little while there. They were down to three. So Roma and Napoli were in there stealing spots sometimes. But Man, to, to not see all three in there in a while is, is kind of mind-blowing, especially when you think about the 90s and, you know, even before I was a fan, those teams dominated. So, um, you know, some people will say that's good for the league. I, I beg to differ because, you know, Atalanta's done very well in the Champions League. Roma's had a run into the semifinals in the past few years. I mean, Napoli has held their own at times. So I don't think you need the Milano clubs necessarily to be great to do well um, as a league. But, you know, I don't know. Everybody yeah, well, has their own opinion. Well, Someone who would say it's best it's best for the league is UEFA themselves. Yep. This, yes. what the no Champions League performer is about. Get the biggest names in the biggest competition, so they're mm -hmm. happy. But as we've seen this year, especially with Juventus, um, you know, the, the most expensive team doesn't make for the best team. Uh, yep. Those UEFA matches have been uh, really bad to watch for even Juventus fans themselves. Um, you, you, you signed uh, Ronaldo for, I can't remember how, how much, like 100 yeah. million euros. And your your whole offense has gone down from 90 goals a season to 76 because it's it's getting strangled for Ronaldo. Mm -hmm. So you know the the biggest names don't always make for the best football. And he didn't start yesterday uh, in their 4-1 yeah. win over Bologna, which was interesting. They said it was fatigue, and um, you know they were speculating on uh, halftime at ESPN. I, I switched over to the Milan feed for halftime just to see the halftime show and get some updates and. Um, they said it was a joint decision between Pirlo and Ronaldo. I, and then they speculated maybe it's just easier to bring Ronaldo off the bench than to substitute him out if he doesn't have 90 minutes in his leg. So that could be, I mean, they didn't really need him yesterday, but. That, um, that's true, though. That, that's the yeah. one thing I'll say in Ronaldo's defense uh, in, compared to someone like Dzeko. Dzeko's in a tough spot because he's not a good impact substitute off the yeah. bench. Yeah, he doesn't have the legs for 90 minutes. Ronaldo could still like walk off into the toilet being a super sub because mm -hmm. he has that instinct to be there. Uh, you know in the right place right time and score so um you know in that sense it's justifiable but still he's getting paid 31 mil a year yeah uh cost him 100 mil on a transfer fee you know that's an expensive substitute mm -hmm. yeah yeah he's got to be a starter if he's making that kind of money and you know i mean they qualify for the champions league so maybe he sticks around now it would have been very interesting to see if they were the team you know because if napoli had won they were the odd team out if with everybody winning yesterday 
Um, it would have been interesting to see if he stuck around or if he went elsewhere because paying that salary in the Europa League would have been would have been something. Um, I don't know if he would have wanted to stick around. And then uh, also fitting yesterday was the way Milan won on two Frank Kessier penalties. I didn't see the match. I didn't see what you know the, if there were good calls, bad calls. But just looking at box scores all year and and you know seeing the the score lines, it's fitting that Milan would have won on two penalties because I feel like mm-hmm. especially early when they were cruising along at the top of the table, they a lot of penalty kicks went their way yeah. this year. I, I didn't I didn't see the match. I didn't actually know that's how they won until you just told me yeah. now. Uh, but yeah, very fitting for their season. The the ratio of penalties Milan have been awarded compared to other teams is is above normal. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we might take a, a look at around the league in our next episode. We'll see how things work out timing wise, but focusing on Roma here, like we mentioned, seventh place level with Sassuolo, only one on tiebreaker. Uh, you know, Roma was only a plus 10 goal differential this season, which for one of the bigger clubs in Italy is not very good. 68 goals scored 58 goals against was, was not very, not very impressive at all. Sean. I mean, I mean, we talked about it through the year, the, the, the amount of goals this team gave up was was not very good. I mean, you know, they're in, in the same range as like a 11th place. Genoa gave up 58 goals. I'm looking at Udinese in 14th, gave up 58 goals. Cagliari, who ended up clawing their way up to 16th out of the relegation battle, gave up 59 goals themselves. So Roma was, you know, mid to lower table in terms of goals allowed, you know. Um, and even the goal scoring. Yeah. I'm in charge of reviewing the defense. The <laughs> That's true. <laughs> at least the midfield. I'm doing the midfield right up. And at least there's some positives uh, with yeah. the midfield, you know. Um, in terms of goal scoring, they did outscore Lazio in sixth. Um, but, you know, they were the seventh best goal scoring team because Sassuolo did outdo them. So I guess fitting uh, based on goals for and goals against where they finished on the table in, in the end. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it didn't always seem like it was going to go this way because they were in the Champions League places through February. Uh, and they were there up until March 7th when they beat Genoa 1-0 at home. And then uh, the wheels just fell off, Sean. I mean, three wins, three draws, and six losses in their last 12 matches. And some of the losses were uh, the teams. Oh, my goodness. Parma, Cagliari, um, you know, geez, Torino. I'm trying to think who else. There was a lot of these lower table teams that got, mm-hmm. that had Roma's number at the end of the year. The only team they really played well against was Protone, who ended up finishing 19th um, in yeah. the end, got ahead of Parma. But, man, the, the losses. I, I still maintain the biggest – story in that and the biggest setback was losing Chris Morning for the better part of the season because mm. uh, I, like you um, before this before we actually looked it up I was tempted to think that Roma hadn't been in the top four till uh, since the draw against Benevento which you know a lot of people feel like that's the turning point of the season yeah. and I understand why um, but yeah they they fell out of the top four after that draw against Benevento <clears throat> and then earned their way back in the top four after beating Genoa at home and yeah. who played in defense it was Chris Morning against Genoa so they, you know they, it was like the first clean sheet they kept in, in a while and actually proving that they could in that general match actually pay, play Catenaccio you know like get the goal ahead and then just defend your, your way to the win um, and then immediately Smalling's back out of the team and you're back out the top four yeah and uh, the Benevento lost stunk because it, it, it I can see why some people would point to that as the the big issue match was because that was up until that point Roma was perfect against those lower side clubs um, and Benefento did get a red card at one point in that match. I think it was pretty late, but, um, you know, Roma couldn't find, oh, Glick in the 57th minute now that I look. So, you know, they had 30 plus minutes without scoring a goal against a team that just parked the bus, which, you know, definitely hurt a little bit. But you're right. Mm-hmm. They did bounce back. They bounced back with wins against um, Fiorentina and Genoa. And Genoa was in pretty good form at that point. 
um, and got back in the top four. So it seemed like things were fixed. They had, they came off a win against Shakhtar in the, the first leg in the Europa League, and then they lost to Parma. So to me, if you're going to point to one league match that the wheels started to fall off, I would have to pick Parma when they fell out of the top four because Parma at that point was in 19th place, and yeah. Roma did not play well uh, in that match. No, they didn't. And, and Parma did play well. And, and yeah. you know, Parma have played uh, games this season where I'm surprised how well they can play in spells for someone mm-hmm. that just got relegated and finished dead last. Um, yeah, you know, I, I I thought they'd get ready before the season because I knew off the pitch like they'd just been so short by their old board it's mm-hmm. now left the scene, but still a, a team that can really put together some, some good football. So I think that, like you're saying, I agree with you. That must have been a bit of blow for Roma to take in their confidence at that point. Like seeing Palmer relegation candidates actually play more better quality football than you. You know, that's, yeah. that's a that's a big blow to take as a Roma side. Um, and until that point, you know, Roma had been showing the versatility that some people have been asking for. You know, people were asking for Allegri. They proved that they could play Allegri style football if it came down to it. Um, but I agree with you that that Palmer that Palmer match was a was a match where Palmer outdid Roma at what Roma try and do, which is play football. And yeah, that, that's that's tough to take. Yeah, and I started doing those, uh, you know, league-wide weekly previews and uh, weekly wrap-ups because the yeah. Champions League race was really a seven-team race for a while. And then Roma just, I thought they would at least hang around the fifth-place area long enough for me to keep those going until pretty late in the season. And I think I canned those about five weeks ago, and that was with Roma, like, <laughs> barely clinging on mathematically because I enjoyed doing them. But at, at that point, for a Roma site, there was almost no point in continuing them because – Roma just fell apart. I mean, like yeah. we mentioned, three, three, and six. Uh, six, the six being the losses was was incredibly bad. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Um, I, the- I remember, I remember you saying. Uh, I mean, we were both agreed, like around springtime, that Fonseca should get a chance to to have his third season. Mm-hmm. And you specifically said, uh, uh, barring the possibility that there's a complete disaster running. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly what happened. Um, yeah. because you and I were both supporting him for the majority of the season until yeah. it really fell apart. And even with, you know, Roma faltering in the league, the the Europa League run was was deep. They went all the way to the semifinals. Uh, they won a group that included Young Boys, Cluj, and Seska Sofia. Uh, and then they pretty handily defeated Braga in the round of 32, Shakhtar in the round of 16, and then in a very tough home and away defeated Ajax. And, and that to me was, was very impressive from Fonseca uh, managing wise. Um, and then, you know, we, we talked about recently the disaster in Manchester in the, in the semifinals and how Roma really between talent and mismanagement just blew a great chance at making a final. Um, and, you know, we talked about how much they put into that Europa league basket. And I think some of it has to do with that in terms of why things are going awry in the league besides the injuries, which I'm sure we'll get into because injuries were big um, in that, in that swoon, so to speak, uh, Mkhitaryan and, and Vertu and Spinazzola and these important players that were probably three of the top five most important players for the team this year, including, mm-hmm. and not even talking about Smolin because he was out so much and not even talking about Zaniolo because he missed the whole season um, mm-hmm. between fatigue and injuries, I think, and then having to play those Thursday matches, did them in in the league. And I think when Fonseca realized, you know, we're in like sixth place and catching the top four is probably looking very bleak. He kind of put his eggs in that Europa League basket and failed. And, and that was probably the final straw. I don't know. What, what do you think about that? Um, I mean, you, you summed it up for me. I don't know what I could add on that. I, I would just say uh, in Europe, it was this very good account of themselves. Okay. Some people will be disappointed at the six, two 
and especially the manner of it uh, when you're 2-1 up at halftime. I understand that. But overall, look at the big picture. Um, Roma did a European campaign where I think they won all but three matches in, in that entire Europa League campaign. Um, and one, one of those wins was uh, against Manchester United themselves in the second leg. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. but I, I don't remember the last time Robert could say that about themselves because like, even the, the Champions League run um, in uh, 2018, um, that was done with like a lot of away goals wins and a lot of draws mm-hmm. along the way. This was actually Roma dispatching teams in Europe. Yeah. Um, yeah, big difference part, so. in that in that yeah. sense because we had to get through an away goals. You're right in all those Champions League, um, Shakhtar, Barca, um, and then finally fell short against Liverpool. This was they they handily dispatched of Braga and Shakhtar this time around. Yeah, um, and then you know Ajax, I think ended up being away goals, but they were pretty impressive. Um, you know, and then just a couple other storylines before we get into you know a couple other things. The form against the top six was was a big talking point all year. Roma finished with one win, four draws, and seven losses against the top six, which included Inter, Atalanta, Milan, uh, Juve, Napoli, and Lazio. The only win being against Lazio in the, in the second-to-last match of the season. Um, you know, winning the Derby is always nice. That was a nice way to kind of end on something of a, you know, high note, so to speak, because it was at least Lazio that they beat. But even in that match, Lazio didn't have a whole ton to play for, so... I mean, yeah, one win, four draws, seven losses. That was really what was hanging over Fonseca's head all season, even before the wheels fell off the bus. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, in t- league-wise, I know that Derby needs something, but league-wise, Lazio had nothing to play with. Yeah. And, and Roma only just a little bit more compared, like in that little table rivalry versus Sassuolo, um, which actually turned out to be important in the end because they you know, they got that seventh yeah. place. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really count that win against Lazio like in the in the, the form against top six story um there were there were no real like competitive wins to be had against the top yeah. six and unfortunately that that you just can't do that because uh you you know you you will end up seventh in the table minimum so, yeah. yeah yeah if you can't beat the six teams that had you um yeah. and and the shame of it was too for me and I've brought this up in other episodes you know a while back is that the first couple matches against these direct competition Juve early in the season and even mm-hmm. Milan early in the season, Juve, Roma felt like they should have won that match um, when they yeah. ended up drawing 2-2, I believe it was. And then um, Milan, you know, they fought their way back to a 3-3 draw on the road. It felt like Roma was in pretty good, you know, confidence against these teams. Even though you didn't get the wins, you had something to build off of. And then, you know, yeah. it, it, those other matches in the the first, you know, time through the ta- uh, the fixture list, Napoli hammered them, Lazio hammered them, Atalanta hammered them. Uh, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was tough to watch. And then they drew Inter. So, you know, they did yeah, right. The, those games, like the Juve Milan ones in particular, um, you know, that that's where I criticize Fonseca myself and his team, or his Roma teams, that there's just a, a, a critical lack of being able to judge the moment in those mm-hmm. matches. Yeah. Um, you know, there are too many extremes, like either like you're attacking when you should be, you know, thinking about defending, or you're defending five minutes at the back when really you should be like giving your opponent something to worry about so you're just not inviting so much pressure onto yourself yeah so it was really like um when when the big result was at stake the 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 team just went into like pure survival instinct mode rather than any kind of intuition for seeing out the match and that that really unfortunately what brought Fonseca's time to an end among all the other outside factors that he couldn't control 
Yeah, and, and seeing out matches was part of the issue against Manchester United. You know, injuries and yeah. talent aside, uh, having a 2-1 lead on the road, many people, you know, even in the moment, I know in hindsight, it's easy to criticize them, but even in the moment, if you asked most managers what how you approach that second half, they would have said, not necessarily park the bus, but play uh, a more conservative brand of football to try to at least get out of their 2-2 or something, um, and they didn't do that. Um, just a couple other, you know, big storylines from the season uh, before we start giving our take on some other other you know topics is you know it started off in a in a funky way where we got the zero zero draw against Hellas to open the season and Amadou Diawara was accidentally registered as an under twenty three player. Roma Three lost times. that point. Yeah, I mean it feels like it feels like ages ago, but that was the way we started our season, um, and we were worried about if that point you know early on would cost us a Champions League spot. Geez, I mean. Yeah. At this point, it, it was a moot point because they ended up in seventh and we're going to be seventh regardless. But that was some way to start the season, just, you know, making Roma, you know, have plenty of banter for other people to throw out Roma's way. <laughs> um, and then the Copa Italia with the substitution drama where Roma made too many substitutions. So even if they had won that match against Betsy, which, which they did not because Daniele Verdi clearly loves to play against his boyhood club. <laughs> um, you know, just they would have lost the match anyway. So just like some of those things from a, a front office standpoint and then even a managerial standpoint were just embarrassing this season. Yeah. Um, of course, we had the Jetco uh, fallout with uh, Fonseca drama, um, losing the captaincy, passing it on to Pellegrini. Then, you know, Jekko kind of found his way back into the side and played a pretty important role in the, the Ajax and United um, fixtures because um, he did regain his starting place. But, you know, then we always, we had that, you know, locker room drama hanging over our heads too. So uh, mm. certainly was a lot going on this season. Um, so the way Sean and I are going to approach this in the, in the coming days, we will have our usual end of season round table coming up. So Sean and I are going to discuss some of the topics from that round table that you guys can find. We'll have a, a Roma specific one and then a Serie A specific one. We also had a Fonseca uh, round table Q&A discussion type piece uh, that went up today, bidding him farewell. Um, so we'll get into it here. And Sean, finishing seventh was definitely a, a bitter disappointment for Roma. Um, in, in your mind, what do you think exactly held Roma back the most? Or was this just unavoidable? Uh, I, this is going to be interesting because uh, I, I, I haven't even looked up the answers I gave in writing on our roundtable. So if, if they wildly differ, then uh, clearly I'm just, you know, uttering off the cuff. But uh, yeah, if, if you prefer reading about football, this will be on Katie Dossi and writing in the few days' time. If you prefer listening, then it's here on the podcast. Uh, what held Roma back this year? I'm pretty sure that I, I said it and I, I reiterated it just today, earlier on, uh, that Chris Smalling injury was was big. Um, he's not someone who has a... Some people have said that he, ha he has an injury history. I looked it up mid-season and the worst I could find was him missing like, what, 12 games in a row because of a, a broken foot or something like that. Um, so uh, definitely not wasn't previously victim to the kind of injuries he, the recurring injuries he had this year which is like muscle strains, tears um, uh, you know it wasn't something predictable so um, I, I think that was really big um, but again what held them back uh, well in terms of what was avoidable I think if you could you know find more intuition um, for you know managing out games and managing the season then uh that's you know that's that's within your power to change that both as a coach and especially as a team um i, I don't know what happened like what kind of breakdowns relationships happened this year or, or maybe like a lot of people that fonseca was counting on 
to you know provide that intuition the team ended up on, on the stretcher at key moments that's what he claims um so you know clearly the relationships there at the club weren't uh, good enough to actually uh actually man manage the season and for that i hold everyone responsible really because that, that seems like an avoidable issue to me yeah um and it, based on what you the expectations you had coming into the season did you think do you think roma underachieved uh or you know if we thought we were a champions league club even in march when we were still in fourth place were we just fooling uh, ourselves i was certainly fooling myself because I, I said you know i could play this off and say like oh it went according to my predictions because I, I did say roma could finish anywhere between fourth or seventh place and that's what happened but I said it would be dependent on them getting the signings across the line that I wanted them to get. One of them was Smalling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they got all the transfers I wanted them to get. So I expected them to finish fourth with this with this team, but they finished seventh. So, I, yeah, I was fooling myself. What yeah, I, I was fooling myself too. I, I said that they had a legit crack at the top four. Um, mm-hmm. You know, who, nobody could have predicted Zaniolo going down right before the season started in that Nations League match. Um, and you know, nobody could have predicted, like you said, Smalling being out for such an extended period because his injury history was not bad at United. Um, mm. and he was a key cog for Roma last season. You know, as much as I liked the, the talents of Mancini, Ibanez, uh, a little bit lesser so Kambula, you know, the vet, <laughs> the missing of the veteran presence was, was a big for Roma because I think if you have Smalling and Mancini all year, I think you definitely have less than 58 goals conceded. Um, mm. It also frees up Brian Cristante to play more in the midfield where he could have helped cover, um, you know, when Vertu was out injured and, and rested Vertu a little bit more to maybe avoid the injury. Um, I think the injuries held Roma back a lot, um, especially when they hit, because they hit when Roma was in the thick of the knockout rounds of the Europa League. Um, and it wasn't just like bit players. It was besides Smalling, who was out for most of the season, even if we put him aside because he did miss a lot of the season. You know, Vertu went down in the Fiorentina match. I remember being on David Amoyal's Calcioland podcast uh, right after that match. And I said on that podcast the same day, I said, that injury worries me a lot because mm-hmm. Roma is very reliant on Vertu's engine in the midfield. Um, mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I was right in that sense. Uh, Spinazzolo also going down, who stayed healthy throughout the first half. We were very impressed with his health because he yeah. is someone with a long history of injuries. Losing yeah. him hurt because they lost that outlet down the left side, which they we're so keen on playing so often, whether, you know, someone likes or not the, the approach they went with uh, Spinazzola and relying on him so much, it was still a key part of their, uh, you know, strategy a lot of the time. So that hurt. Yeah. Um, they lost They lost the guy waiting to step up and take responsibility. Yeah. Exactly. And then they lost Mkhitaryan at, at times. So all these injuries uh, really added up. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing, they just didn't have a roster built to make such a deep run in such a compacted season. Uh, everything was kind of compressed because the late start because of COVID and, you know, all those things they played late into the summer last year. So maybe they get a little bit less of a summer holiday. So I I think all that added up. That's not the only reason they finished in seventh. Clearly, like you said, seeing out matches was not good enough um, Mm -hmm. in some of those big matches, even the, the Atalanta loss in the first uh, in the reverse fixture, the first time they played them, it was, you know, Roma was up in that match and then they ended up getting annihilated. So um Fonseca did get out managed at times as much as I, I did like him uh, as a manager and saw some potential in him. He, he definitely needs some refinement in those areas. Um, but, you know, not everything was doom and gloom, Sean. I mean, despite the seventh place finish, there are some positives to look back on. What, what do you think Roma fans should be most pleased with from this past season? Well, I think we, we all said this in the round table. So sorry if I'm going to steal, steal an answer ahead of time, but uh, we said, you know, look at how many people have improved individually. Yeah. Um, 
<clears throat> okay, they, they, they failed to understand how to support each other as a team. Now, I don't know if that can be rectified with any coach right now, or if it's just something where you just need to draw a line under it and like send some people away and, and like, rebuild the team somewhat. But um, on, an, on a purely individual level, you look at Spinozola, who just said, you know, has never enjoyed health as much as he had this season. Uh, Karsdorp was never a guy who was enthused by defending before this mm -hmm. season. Um, Villar, I mean, okay, you know, people have like uh, said that his uh, his end of the season is a sign that he's just an average player. But look, I don't think that um, a player's uh, growth is ever just like a, a linear, linear straight line upwards. You know, yeah. like it, you know, learning goes up and down in any form of life. Um, you know, it's not like you just, you know, when you're studying for an exam, it's not like you just read a book and you go, okay, I know everything, and then you, you, you pass the test. You know, you have, you have some setbacks. So for his age, I think Villar has definitely come on uh, compared to the, the level of football he was playing before. Um, who else? There's Ibanez. Okay, like, mm -hmm. he, you know, he can sometimes make very bad glaring and selfish errors. But uh, overall, I think he's come on compared to someone who was, like, literally only played 20 minutes worth of football at Atlanta in a season. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's, there's, I could go through all the names, but there's, there's, there's so many people who have proved something this season that we didn't know they had before in their repertoire. So, you know, I think that's, that's a good positive to, to take into, into the future. Yeah. That, that by far is my biggest positive too. All the, all the names you mentioned, I think Karsdorp stands out. Uh, you know, Monchi doesn't look so bad for signing him anymore. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that he came good on that signing. He's probably, put himself in a position to be Roma starting right back, despite who, uh, you know, Fonseca being fired and Mourinho coming in. I think he's shown more defensively to be trusted yeah. there as a right back, something we have not seen at right back for a long time. Um, exactly. You know, Spinazzola, I was very pleased with him. You know, I like him as a player and I was very pleased to see his, um, you know, I won't say growth because he was more of a rebirth, I guess you could say, because he, yeah. he had a history. He's a little bit older. He's around 28, I think. Um, VR, you know, people will point to the, the late season, you know, he faded a bit, but I kind of compare him to a player in either the NBA or NFL who comes out of college or is coming out of the minor leagues in, in baseball or hockey, where you hit that late season wall, so to speak, because you've never trained for such a long extended season exactly. at such a high level. You know, he was playing at Elche in the second division when we signed him last year, uh, yeah. back in January. So he was only with Roma for, uh, about you know, half a season before this season kicked off and he became a major player right away. Um, and, and, and as you said, without really an extended preseason, like, it's yes. not like that, that, you know, eight, 12 weeks where you get to bet in with the team in a, in a camp. It's just like, okay, we're stopping for the season. Two weeks later, go mm -hmm. again. Yeah. Yeah. So he's not a true rookie in the sense that you see a rookie in some of these North American sports leagues, but in, in, in essence, he was a rookie based on his past experience and yeah. it's natural to hit that wall um, somewhat. You know, Ibanez, like you said, there's some brain farts sometimes, but he's shown why Petrarchi signed him. Villar showed why he signed him. Um, it's funny because in when that transfer market happened last January, I, I'm, I don't think I'm the only one that thought Carlos Perez had the best chance to make an impact on Roma because of his Barcelona past. And he looks like the, the worst of the three, um, yeah. you know, and other players. I'll, I'll were be too. honest, I, I, um... I don't want to sound like I'm bragging, but I really did fancy Ibanez and VR more. But purely because I think it's I think it's just pure bias on my part because they're the type of player that I like to watch. But that's yeah. all. Like I was I was excited by them more. That's, that's yeah. I'm not, not saying I knew what would happen. I was just more excited by those two. I was also pleased with Mancini's season. I thought Gianluca Mancini had a nice season. Um, and I, I know you and I are both fans of him as an all-around yeah. player. 
Um, and I think, I think he will flourish under Mourinho with the right coaching. He's got that, I think, yeah. skill set and mentality that Mourinho will love. Um, he came on, he came on nicely this season. He, I mean, he, again, he had errors as well. Um, mm-hmm. He's not exempt from that, but he came on as a, as a, a guy who can influence the game and like, like literally like you can see like the story of the match change around what he does, you know, like the, the way he moves between defense and midfield in possession, it really, really forces the opposition to either go backwards or come forward as Mancini wills it. And mm-hmm. I think that's a really special quality to have in the player. Yeah. I, I think he's grown a lot. And we've even seen him take on a little bit more of a leadership role. He's become yeah. like the third, third in line behind Cristante and Pellegrini. Um, I also think Pellegrini showed some some good growth this year because he was disappointing the last couple of seasons after a pretty good first season back in the capital. So um, to see him kind of regain that form, I think he finished with um, almost nine, almost 10 assists. He almost had a double-double in all competitions. Not quite, mm-hmm. but I think he was close when I was doing the midfield right up yesterday. Um, and he's, he's taken on that leadership role. And I think seeing new leaders emerge in the locker room is important as we usher out guys like Jekko. We ushered out Kolarov last season, De Rossi the season before. So it's good to see some of these younger players start to take the reins a little bit because new leaders will be needed under Mourinho. Um, yeah. so, Do you know who else is a Monty signing? Who's that? Daniel Fazato. Ah, uh, yes. Also has looked pretty good. <laughs> and speaking of goalies, uh, it, it'd be behoove me not to mention Paul Lopez's second half of the season before the injury True. at United. You know, he was not yeah. an MVP caliber player, but he stepped it up a bit. No, yeah. While we're talking about self improvement, he definitely, definitely. Well, I, I think, like you said about him and about how, like you said about Spinazzola, Palopas is probably more about redemption rather yeah. than improvement because it's like we weren't expecting him to take to heart so deeply that mistake against Lazio that kind of like you know, mentally shut him down. Yeah. But finally, he he got over it, and that was good to see. Yeah. Um. So we talked about some of the big surprises. What about disappointments? Who who's your biggest individual disappointments this year? Um, I know I, I mentioned several people in writing that would come out this week, but I, you know, after yesterday, I'm just going to go straight in and say Max Kumbula. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but really, he had, I'd say he is, he unfortunately gets my vote for worst signing of the season. Uh, before the last few weeks, I would have said Pedro, but now I'm just going to face facts. Um, and before I get into this, I, I want to be clear, like, because it, it's often, like, when you bring this up, it often gets into like, People feel like they need to defend someone's talent or their potential. You know, I'm not saying Kumbula is just innately a bad player and that's it. Um, but I'm talking about in the context of how Roma signed him, Roma's season, and what they signed him for. Now, uh, someone on the board today made, made a, comp- a comparison that I feel is perfectly valid, which is how bad a signing Kumbula has been c- compared to Juan Torbe at the time. Juan Torbe was 21 when he signed for Roma for uh, potentially 24 and a half million, if you count the add-ons, which we don't know if they were paid or not. Uh, Kumbula was 20 when he signed for Roma, and uh, for a book value of 27 million. I know mm-hmm. people will say, okay, but in, in real real money cash, it was you know just like 8 million lost uh, maximum, that's it. But I, I don't wanna get into that. Like the, over, over Kumbula's contract, in terms of like FFP wise, um, you know, the amount that Rome will have to account for is 27 million when you factor in all the players they gave away. And both those players were signed from Verona. Now, it's not impossible that Kumbula could, you know, reset and actually come good for Roma. But this is my point in terms of like, when you see Kumbula play the way he did yesterday, he's, you know, he's dead scared of the ball. Mm-hmm. 
all season long, you know, I, I've been giving him a free pass on this, but now it's, it's become unavoidable. Um, he's not good at passing the ball. Like he, if you ask him to pass it more than longer than five yards, it was it'll be a slow pass, unconfident. Like the guy clearly doesn't like have confidence in himself in terms of handling the ball. He can't drive it. Uh, if you put him under pressure, he panics. Uh, you know, to the extent that well, yesterday he was actually passing it forward to, to Darboy or, or Dabo, whichever way you want to pronounce it. I'm sorry, I'm used to the Italian pronunciation by now, so I'm gonna say Darboy. Um passed it forward to Darboy, Cristante, when they're already marked by an opponent. So he's just passing it like he literally just wants to get rid of the ball. Yeah, just it get it as fast as just, possible. Yeah. Um, you know, that, and this is my point with Kumbula. Like, I don't want, I don't want to get into like, uh, you know, the merits of his potential or not, because that's to be seen. But this is something that we talked about with Lorenzo Pellegrini before, when he was in rock bottom form. Is like, how do you see this player actually um, finding a strength in his game to rely on when his confidence is down? Mm. So what, what does he turn towards? And with Kumbula, I don't really see much there. Uh, I looked at the, the, you know, the comparisons. I made a comparison because, like I said, I'm I'm in charge of um, writing up the defense and and the end of season reviews. Compared them to Ibanez Mancini, other young defenders, and it is not good. You know, like yeah. it, it, like he's significantly behind in so many areas. The only area where he actually comes out even remotely respectable is heading. So, mm-hmm. like, what do we say next season? Do we like? Just defend deep and and hope that the opposition launches a much, bunch of long balls and then yeah. maybe Kumbula like heads the ball away and he finds his you know his feet from there. Yeah, that's not very confident. It doesn't fill me with confidence in terms of where this is going. Um, so sorry for going off on like a five minute thing there, but he is the worst signing of the season for me. Yeah, you know, um, I have to agree because in terms of expectations, I think he had higher expectations of the, the underperforming players. I wasn't high on the Pedro signing to begin with um, yeah. just because of his age. And I, I was, you know, I don't know. I wasn't too crazy about it. Um, but Kambula seemed like a real coup because Inter was hard after him. Lazio was hard after him. It seemed like we beat both of them out for his signature, similar yeah. to Iturbe um, with Juve, yeah, if I remember right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it felt like such a coup. And now it looking back and it's like, like, what did we do with our money? Because it exactly. seems like he was a system player in Juric's, uh really compact defensive style that they play because Verona, again, was pretty good defensively without him, without uh, Romani, who was sold to Napoli. He didn't play much this year for, for Napoli. Uh, mm-hmm. And they almost are starting to look like it, it has a feel of the early Atalanta days, in a sense, some of those yeah. players that get sold on. So I'm curious to see um, what happens with some of these other guys when they move on from Verona. Um, the young left back who belongs to Inter, he's, I'm losing his name right now, but, you know. Um, Faroni? No, Faroni's the right back. Yeah. yeah. Um, it'll come to me. I'll, I'll get it in a second. But, you know, when he goes back to Inter this winter, does he have this same, or ne- this summer, does he have the same effect on Inter as he did, you know, on yeah. Verona? Like these kind of things you start to wonder because, we've talked so much about how, um, you know, ex Atalanta players didn't pan out elsewhere. Will the same thing happen with these Verona players now? Cause we're starting to see it. Um, yeah. So it's an interesting I, little caveat there. And, you, and you, you touched upon it, like with the, the story behind these transfers, it's like, I don't see this like going to a good place. I, I see it going to a place where we've been here before where like, okay, at the time we were back slapping saying, yeah, we beat Juve to Tuzbe. Yeah, we beat Juve to Schick. And like, because they cost so much money, we spent that whole time there at the club, like trying to justify things and say, "Oh, but they've got talent, they've got potential." Yeah. Okay. No, no one's debating that. But 
then in retrospect, people have no problem saying Schick was a flop. And, and yeah. a, th- there's a reason why Juve didn't go past a certain limit to sign him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Torbe was a flop. There's a reason why Juve didn't go past a certain limit of spending to sign him. And Roma, for the third time, are that club that just said, oh, you know what? Money's no object. We'll pay the price just as long as we get this player on, on board. And that, that that's gambling. You know, not, that's not yeah. a calculated risk. That's just gambling. And it's, unfortunately, yeah. it's not looking like a good gamble right now. Uh, and the player I was thinking of is Federico DeMarco, the left back. Okay. Um, for, yeah, yeah. He looked really good this year. So we'll take a break here. Uh, we'll come back. When we come back from the commercial break, we'll give you our MVP of the season, our best under 23 player, and some other uh, talking points. So stick with us. All right. Welcome back to episode 46. So, Sean, we'll get right to it. Uh, you know, you can give us your MVP. I think, you know, we probably all agree on the MVP. If you want to even yeah. rank your top five players this year, you can go a little deeper if you want, three or five or whatever you want to go to but you know you can start with your mvp and maybe mention some other honorable mentions so to speak yeah i think you and me both put number one as henrik Mkhitaryan, um especially after the, the numbers he's finished off with he even finished off with a goal yesterday uh behind him i would say you know not necessarily in any order um leonardo spezzola mm-hmm. jordan vertu Gianluca Mancini. um well that's that's four players right so uh who else I don't know if I have a fifth player. I mean, I think probably just, I'd say, I don't know, maybe between between either the Villar or Ibanez. Uh, Ibanez for the workload, but Villar because of the responsibility he took in the team. But, yeah. So I agree on four of those players. Um, the fifth, I don't. Um, I had a different fifth player. So Mkhitaryan, obviously MVP. I mean, he had the, the league double-double, first ones in Salah to do that for the club even with uh, the little bit of a downturn in the second half and the injuries, uh, hard to argue against him. Um, I would have Spinazzola up there, Mancini, Vertu, like you said, but I would also have Pellegrini in my top five. He also okay. took on a heavy workload for Roma, had a pretty good goal tally and assist tally for them um, in true. all competitions, took on a leadership role. So I would put him there. Some of my honorable mentions would even be like uh, Rick Karsdorp, I thought had a, a nice season. Yeah. He would be That's tough true. to leave out. Um, I yeah. even give some credit to Cristante, um for the way he filled in 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 a a center back role which is not his natural position but you know you guys can let us know who your top five are for sure on the message boards after um you know let us know what you think about a top five i think most people would probably agree mkhitaryan yeah also mayor al's worth a shout yeah yeah definitely the best so quote-unquote vice jekyll that we've ever had since jekyll's been here for sure yeah um so moving to the younger players now who would be your best under 23 player um, I, I think I said I gave it away. Viar, yeah. Um, I could I could understand the bangers as well, but I, like I said, I, I think um maybe maybe I am wrong to overlook Pellegrini, but I think the difference between like someone like where Pellegrini has pay, played for most of the season of Viar is that Viar has played it in the center of pressure where Roma have invited um you know that press onto them in deep midfield. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I know I know Pellegrini's not in the discussion for best under 23, but that's why I tend to think of Villar more than I think of Pellegrini because um, it's just that Villar has really like, I think he has the the most completed passes in the team besides anyone except Pellegrini, funny enough. Mm-hmm. Um, he has the most passes made in, inside the team except Cristante and Pellegrini. And Cristante actually played in defense for most of the season in midfield. So Villar was the hub of the team for me in terms of the, the strategy you know absorbing pressure going on the counter it started with vr yeah i would agree with vr i know darboe will get some shouts from people but the sample size was very small ibanez will get some shouts 
but VR was very impressive. His passing percentage. Let me see if I could pull up my uh, draft real quick. Uh, almost 90% pass completion percentage, uh, which mm-hmm. is very good. Uh, you know, and one thing that impressed me, you know, defensively, he certainly has holes. We've mentioned it, but mm-hmm. he was third on the team with 2.20 tackles per 90 minutes. Um, the difference with him and some of the more impressive defensive players is that he just gets beat a little more often, but yeah. the, the work rate is there. Um, yeah, and tries. you know, he's tries, which yeah. the numbers, when I started doing the research on the midfield review jumped out at me a bit because I have criticized his defense. It definitely needs some honing. But maybe there is more there to work with than I expected from Mourinho because he does put in the energy. I even saw him yesterday. He saw the yellow card he took where he just like literally tried to spear someone. Yeah. (laughs) So so he he tries to show that he's got a hard side. He might might not have a hard side, but he tries. You know, he's trying. Yeah, at least he at least doesn't shy away from contact in that sense. And, you know, maybe if he fills out a little bit more, he's still a young kid. He's got a pretty thin frame. If he fills out a bit, maybe he can – turn into a little bit more of a complete player in the midfield. So that, that did impress me. Uh, you know, definitely a shout to Darboe for the way he came on late in the year in a small sample size. He definitely gives us some, some reason for hope too. Um, yeah, pe- people will like Darboe because um, a passing percentage wise, his forward passes are 32 point something percent of his total passes uh, compared to Villar's 23% forward passes. Yeah. And then the rest is more sideways. And then uh, Diawada's down at like 21% forward passes. So uh, yeah, there was a noticeable difference there between in terms of how vertical Darbro was willing to play at the end of the season compared to his other two. So I understand the hype, but uh, like you said, let's let's see it last over an entire season. Yeah, um, exactly. Certainly, his performance yesterday was you know indicative of the problems you can run into as a young mm-hmm. player. Yeah, definitely gave us some reason to you know tamper expectations, give the kid time to develop. I think for sure because yeah. the potential is there. And then with um you know our our best signings. You know, I think there's only one one choice here. You know, <laughs> yeah. the, the signings that were made through the summer and winter transfer markets. We have Pedro, Kambula, uh, Reynolds, El Shawari, and Myral. Uh, I think it's pretty clear who you would pick here. There's no debate here. It's Myral. Got to be Myral. Um, so, you know, what was your biggest concern heading into the season, and was your concern justified, Sean? Uh, it was Lorenzo Pellegrini. <laughs> so you, you, you can take me to task on that one because uh, no, my concerns were not justified. Pellegrini uh, ex- well exceeded uh, the, the fears I had for him. I, was, I, I said this was a make or break season for him and he made it. You know, he, he stepped up in all the ways you just said. Um, he, rounded, he rounded himself out as a player defensively uh, to, uh, to complement his attacking game. And um, I thought like... I specifically thought he became very very uh, good if not excellent at um on marking himself at key moments uh in attack where like you need someone to make a run to really split open the defense instead of him just being a passer to make the assist he made it easier for other people to make that assist or second assist to him um you know he didn't finish off too many moves himself with the goal but like for example against manu uh when they needed that comeback goal he was the guy who who uh, made the crucial run for Mkhitaryan to pass it through to him. Then he he assisted Jacko. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been doing that all season. So he's he's actually very very good off the ball in the final third. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I'm and as a big Pellegrini fan, I'm very happy that you were wrong here. I will say, and I'm sure <laughs> you don't mind it because having uh, a better Pellegrini yeah. is better for the team. Um, yeah. My concern was the injury to Zaniolo because when we did the the original Q and A previewing the season about Roma. Uh, it was right after that injury, and I was worried Roma would not be able to adequately adequately replace uh, Zaniolo. And as it turned out, they couldn't. 
Um, mm-hmm. They definitely miss his physical dribbling down the right wing, uh, yeah. his, his ability to run at people and kind of play fearless football. Uh, that, that big left-footed shot he can un, unfurl sometimes. Um, you know, and even tracking back and playing physically defensively uh, when tracking back on that right wing were certainly missed. Nobody could bring that to the table. You know, the only other maybe somewhat physical player up front would be Jekyll, but he can't dribble like Zaniola can at this age. You know, he doesn't have the pace and things like that. So um, unfortunately that was justified. And I, I hope Zaniola, now that he's cleared, he was cleared just a couple of days ago to, to resume full training, um, yeah. and, comes back. And he, will, and he will play with the Primavera starting from next week. So, Oh, uh, beautiful. Not- Get him some match time. Yeah, as as an overage player, he's not eligible to to play for them in the playoff season. But um, there was a big delay where the league was suspended during the winter, so the league is actually six matches behind mm. where we are with the senior team. Um, so they have six matches to go, and so that'd be six more games for Zaniol to play this summer. Yeah, that's big because um, you know not being able to play at all for the senior side, it's good to get some actual match minutes under his belt, gain that confidence. Yeah. Hopefully, his knees feel good; he can regain that confidence in his body. And come back with a vengeance because I think under Mourinho he could really uh, flourish with the right coaching if if he yeah. gets it. So if he's healthy, um, going into the season, you know we asked who was facing the most pressure. Um, you know the, the question asked for a player. I personally went with the manager because I thought Fonseca was under the most pressure. Um, mm. Obviously, things did not turn out well for Fonseca in the end. Sean, no. did you identify a player that you felt was under I- the most pressure? I think I'm, I might mix this question up with the last one because my, my answer was Pellegrini. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I just, yeah, that does my concerns of Pellegrini and uh, he, he fared well, well better than I predicted. So, yeah. yeah, well, Sean, don't be surprised if some of our listeners might call you on the message boards for picking on Pellegrini because <laughs> we know we have some diehard <laughs> Pellegrini supporters out there. So Let, um, let me have it. <laughs> <laughs> um. So we talked about the the drop off in the late winter and early spring. So Sean, what besides that spell that we talked about, you know, where the Benevento draw kind of rebounded, Parma lost kind of really turned the league out of control. What was really the turning point in your in the season in your mind? Was it one of those matches or was it elsewhere? Uh I think we've covered this to death to be honest. We've been through all the reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, the the Jacko captaincy issue, uh the cup loss, the uh, Palmer, the big, the big team formed like against the top sticks. I mean, all of it. You know, we've we've done it all now. So yeah, yeah. I, and I think the cup loss had a had a big part to play too. The fallout from the, the Jetco situation, all that. So yeah, I think we've covered that plenty. Um, and if if you know, put yourself in Paulo Fonseca's shoes as you walk out the door. Any parting words of advice you would pass on to Jose Mourinho? Uh, as I said in writing, just be careful if you start getting text messages from General Kapitaki. Might as well change your number. <laughs> and I would say buckle up because as tough as the media might be in Milan, it's certainly uh, even worse in Rome. We've seen the way the team is covered uh, just to sell paper sometimes and the, the rumors that are made up and other things that you know Roma has had to call out in the past. Um, so, I mean, I think Mourinho will be up to task for that. So I'm not too worried about him, but um, probably wasn't too fun for Fonseca to deal with. Um, and then just to close out, we have a few listener questions. Uh, Mike Kovac uh, weighed in. He wanted to know our team MVP, which we covered. Uh, also a team LVP, least valuable player. You have a, somebody who you would consider the least valuable player in the squad this year, Sean? Kumbula. Yeah. In, terms, in terms of money spent versus performance on the pitch. Least yeah. valuable, Kumbula. Yeah, I mean, you know, we have guys like Juan Jesus and, and uh, Fazio and Pastore. But in terms of expectations, I think it has to be Kumbula as well. Um, best match for you this, this season? Good question. I 
I didn't actually come prepared for that. Um, I don't know. You might want to answer first because I need some thinking time. I think I would go with the the Ajax, um, the away win against Ajax in the mm. in the in the Europa League. I almost said Champions League, but in the Europa League, I thought was the most impressive win of the season, especially because we struggled so much against the top sides in the league. Um, yeah. Being able to go to a place like Amsterdam and win two one. Uh, I thought said something about the character of this team, and then they got the draw in the second leg and actually won on the aggregate three two. So I thought that was the best win of the season. That's fair enough. That's a good shout. Uh, I think uh, being honest, my I just instinctively I know this is going to sound like a very esoteric choice, but I really like the, uh, the I think it was a five nil win of a Crotone in the mm. first half of the season because I I genuinely enjoyed watching that match and especially yeah. enjoyed watching Brian Cristante take control of the match. Yeah. Um, play like real fast one twos, like right stringing the whole team together, and like just playing at a, a level that I rarely ever see him play. So I know I know it was against Cartone, but that felt like a match where things were coming together, and everything we hoped to see, like the style of play we hoped to see from Roma, even from like the least fancy players, was actually coming together. But yeah, it didn't last unfortunately. Yeah, that that was the the three one victory the first time around. But I remember it being a very impressive three one and and flowing and and all that. So yeah, that was a, a an aesthetically pleasing match to watch uh, for sure. Uh, most disappointing match of the season. Uh, I'm gonna say the the Palma game two nil uh, because like I said, mm-hmm. I, mean, I know people will go for the big score line, but um, I I just felt like the, to see Roma outdone by technically on paper a worse team at their own game uh that's demoralizing to say the least so yeah the palma tuna loss with me yeah that's a good shout i was thinking more in lines of some of the the heavier losses we had against bigger squads i was actually going to go with the united loss uh the 6-2 loss and not because they lost the semi-final to united but the way they lost the match made that my worst match but i could see where you're coming from with palma because i think that really set the downward spiral in motion uh, mm. against a team that finished 20th in the league. They finished in the basement. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was that was an I, awful match. In terms of overall performance, probably is the worst match. I could I could definitely understand going for the 6-2 as the worst match. I, I just feel like I've I've seen Roma get on the end of a beating like that before, like mm-hmm. enough times that I'm, yeah. I'm kind of immune to it now. Yeah. Um, I, I know that heavy score lines, like when I was a kid, they they were like embarrassing and humiliating yeah. to go through. But now I'm... I'm a little bit older. I know that those score lines, even without Roma, they happen just because you have a bad day or yeah. bad half an hour where you just go into a, a negative spiral, you know, yeah. but then you, 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 you write it off and you move on. Um, whereas with that Palmer match, I legitimately remember when full time went, I just felt like down, down, down. I just felt the, you know, not depressed. I won't go that far, but I really just like my whole season was over. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and even with those heavy scorelines, when they do happen to a fairly big club like Roma, it usually happens in Europe because you don't face yeah. those caliber teams in the league often enough for them to happen, you know, the and day unless, you hit it. Unless you're in the cup against Fiorentina. Yeah, <laughs> or that. <laughs> but they tend to happen more in Europe because I think the yeah. mental aspect is having a bad day. But also they happen to everyone. Who would yeah. have thought that Liverpool would get destroyed 8-2 by Aston Villa this season? Yeah. They happen to everyone. Yeah, it happens to everyone, exactly. Day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, most crushing injury because we had some big injuries. Which one to you is the most crushing to to Roma? Um, like, like you said, I think most crushing in terms of like it happened when we least needed it to happen was either Vertu or Spinazzola or Mkhitaryan in that spell, but they all three went out. Um, I'd probably give it to Vertu because um, he was like really that that and one player in attack 
Yeah. Um, and without him, it just it felt like, man, how the hell are we going to break down these small teams? And that's exactly what happened. You know, we lost the odds. Yeah, I agree. As much as the Spinazzola won her and Mkhitaryan being our team MVP, I think uh, in terms of being able to be replaced, I think Vertu was the toughest one to replace. We lost the engine in the midfield. You know, playing VR and DOR together is not ideal because they kind of like to play the same Regista type of style. Um, mm. It really hurt the counterattack too, considering how much we want to counterattack this year. He, being Vertu, was one of those guys that could really spring a counterattack for Roma. Yeah. Um, so that, that to me was the most crushing uh, so, so good question there from Mike Kovac touching on all those things. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't have too much information about this, but AS Roma 27, he asked, what's the financial situation of the club? I know Bren replied, uh, awful or something on Twitter. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> bad. <laughs> Which is really all we can say. That's, yeah. that's a complicated question. AS Roma 27. I'll tell you why. Um, you know, I, I, not only did I just avoid this question because I, I didn't want to go in, uh, for like the third or fourth time this year into like all the numbers and make sure I come correct with all the figures and that stuff, which takes ages anyway. Um, but even if we did do that, uh, we don't know, like we can't give you a conclusion, like we can't give you uh, a what, does, what do these numbers mean? Because in the wider context of uh, what FFP or, or UEFA are willing to do about it, we don't know. Like there's, there's just, everything's up in the air right now. We don't know whether FFP will be scrapped we don't know, like, all we can say is that, look, this is the general picture here. Um, Roma's debt to income ratio is the worst in Italy, right? It's yeah. at 53%. Um, that is way ahead of, like, you, you know, you've been reading uh, newspaper stories about how Inter are in trouble. Inter's debt to income ratio is 11%. Mm. Wow. Juve are apparently in trouble. Juve's ratio is something like 12 or 13. I think, I think one article mentioned it might be 19. I didn't go through the numbers myself to figure out which one's more accurate. But either way, Roma are way, way ahead out in the league as the worst run club financially in Italy right now. But um, let, let's say like being the worst run club financially is different for Roma than it would be someone like Verona or Cagliari, right? Like if you know, Cagliari is such a small club that if they if they had that amount of debt compared to how much money they're bringing in, you'd wonder like, are they just going to disappear off the face of the planet? Because Cagliari don't really have many options to expand. Mm -hmm. uh, Roma are at least a decent mid-sized club so they, they can get themselves out of it but we're hoping the way they get themselves out of it is freaking spending and being given that license to spend um, yeah. and recapitalize we don't know we, we just don't know we don't know what the freakers are willing to do and we don't know uh, how much we are willing to let, let them get away with if they are willing to do or go all out so it's just unfortunately it's a big to be seen right now yeah and, you know, the freakins coming in had to know about the finances. Obviously, they did their due diligence. Yeah. So you, you'd yeah. expect that they're willing to spend. So uh, I think that's the positive of the change of ownership is you should have guys in charge. Like these guys were at every match, pretty much. Um, yeah. They're showing they're invested in the team uh, in, in terms of their time uh, and effort and hopefully financially as well. And we'll, we'll see. Hopefully things start to turn a little yeah. bit. But I, I would warn against making that assumption because look at what they've actually done so far. Hiring someone like Thiago Pinto does not scream you have ambition. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not trying to uh, put down Thiago Pinto. I'm sure that he's like very good at a job, but he's good at um, building, like, uh, if anything, if we go by his history, he's good at building an academy so you can promote young players mm -hmm. so you can sell them to big clubs. So it's like, strategy-wise, that says that nothing's really going to change. It's like yeah. we're still competing in terms of player sales if that's the case. And then hiring Jose Mourinho, some people argued, okay, that's a sign of ambition, but really and truly, 
it's just a common sense move to make. If a, if a manager like that comes available, he's so well known, um, you know, that, that's a way to get your money back right then and there yeah. by, by creating that hype around him. So that, you know, we can't really assume anything right now. We're just literally, it's to be continued. We'll see at the end of the summer. Yeah, good point. Um, and then our last question comes from AS Roma Fan 6. Uh, he said Paulo Fonseca was never really given a fighting chance to succeed with Roma with all the changes and chaos surrounding the team. Uh, now that we have new ownership in place, a general manager coach, do you believe we are following on the right path to success? Uh, based on your last answer, I'm not so sure you feel that way. <laughs> I just said it all. In the last yeah, one, yeah. I, yeah. So just sorry, Ace Roman fan six, but just refer to Sean's previous comment about the finances. <laughs> um, you know, I, I I hope things are going in the right direction. I think a, a lot depends on if we can get the stadium built with the new ownership in place, um, and we'll see how. Oh. Sorry, yeah, no, that, that's a great point to make. That, that is, a, that was an ambitious move they made. They they yeah. signed Stefano Scalera, ex-minister, to be in charge of that side of things. So that's something very ambitious that they're doing different from Pilates regime. You know, they didn't hire a clown in charge of the project stadium, yeah. uh, stadium project. They hired and someone it, serious. And if that gets you know off the ground and they start getting that revenue stream from the stadium, uh, that would be a big push to be able to sign players and and things like that. And yeah. uh, we'll, we'll see about Pinto. You know, if he can build the academy the way he's known for building academies, but also make some good signings of established players, maybe you know Roma have the right combination uh, with him and Mourinho in place. Hopefully, the team doesn't go you know super Portuguese just because we have a Portuguese director and and coach, mm. and we go too much in that direction, kind of like Wolves did in the Premier League. Um, you know, just hopefully it's, they find the right balance. Um, but, you know, in principle, I have nothing, I have no problem with that. I definitely have no problem with Thiago Pinto and the way he does football, because I guess I, I've already adjusted to the, to the reality of Roma being a selling club. Mm-hmm. And like, like I've, I'm more excited, like I follow Primavera matches. So I'm more excited by academy players coming good than I am by winning trophies right now. Um, you, you could say that I'm wrong for that. And maybe I should be more ambitious, but this is just how I've, I've learned to enjoy supporting Roma. But for someone who's supporting Roma, expecting like a massive turnaround where suddenly we're competing for trophies, I just think you might be disappointed that you hire someone like Thiago Pinto because um, it just it he 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 smacks of more of the same that we've mm-hmm. seen on the blotter. It's like we're we're trying to um, compete in terms of raising revenue on player sales, and yeah. uh, if you don't if you don't like that, then I don't know if you're going to be happy with with uh, Pinto. But um, I saw like a an article in the newspaper about the the new Metodo de Benfica that uh, Pinto is apparently bringing along, which I don't know how true it is or not. Um, it sounds a little bit pie in the sky-ish to me, where they said they claimed that um, his uh, method that he brought into the into the club is he assigned a personal nutritionist, personal coach, um, like five like a, a crack five member team of coaching staff specifically to players that he had identified as ready to make that jump from under 19 to senior level and the, the players listed apparently in the paper were Darboy, uh, Bove, uh, Calafiori, Fusato, basically everyone who who was already being called up to match day squads last season before Pinto even arrived um, you know they, they put that in the paper as like evidence that Pinto is doing things differently now he could be doing things this way he could not be but I just find it a little bit too like placebo-ish to say like this mm. is the way forward because yeah. if it if it's really that simple that you just put a, a, a coaching staff on on young players and they come good, then I find it unrealistic to think that other clubs wouldn't have tried it in Italy before today. Yeah, um, probably they have, and probably just it isn't 
it isn't the answer in itself. It has to be sustained by other things like um, just good board level management, really, which we yeah. lack. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, AS Roman Fan Six continue with, in your opinion, is Jose Mourinho the type of manager that has the patience to develop some of that said young talent? Or do you believe he will surround himself with a veteran team and try to win right away? Uh, AS Roman Fan, I think ideally he would surround himself with a team and win, win right away. But I think realistically he has. He might have to just put up with what he's been given because he's at a, a, a lane in his career where he's uh, alienated himself from all the big clubs in England. And uh, I guess his, his next move was just to come to Italy and he can't afford to burn too many bridges here. So um, he might have to compromise. Yeah. And we do have some decent young talent on the team, you know, namely Zaniolo if he's healthy. But, you know, if he can develop some of the other players that we've seen in the squad this year that are still in the 25 and underside, uh, and bring in a couple veterans that maybe fit his style better. Maybe Roma, maybe not compete for a trophy next year, but maybe looks like a much more competitive team. We'll see. Because um, okay. I think there is decent talent on this team. Maybe not, you know, top, top notch talent all around the pitch, but I think decent enough talent to compete for top four. Um, okay. I think that's, that's good talent on this team. I think yeah. the, 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 the area where I lost hope was their ability to work with each other. Mm. So, like, and that's the, 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 Josine, the uh, Jose kind of. Exactly. style yeah specialty yeah yeah and then uh ace from a fan six closed by saying not really a question but he wishes fun a great success in the future being a class act never complained if it was a true professional uh he felt like he was never given a chance to succeed and he's a good manager uh, i agree in, in most of that sense I, I definitely did not regret having him on the bench he represented roma well in terms of being a class act and everything i think he has some good footballing ideas um, I think maybe those ideas might fit better outside of Italy in some ways, but I, I, I do wish him success in the future. And I think he will have success elsewhere in the future. He's still a young manager. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with the sentiment. I, I, I was the one that um, put this down uh, and just comment down and copied it over because I felt like, you know, it's, it's, it's your, your show as a listener. So you have every right to, to put this sentiment down. Um, we, I think we all share the same sentiment on the writing team. Um, I just think maybe the, the only thing that people would point as a counter argument to it is that uh, um, what would Fonseca do that was um, not, I, I, I lost my trail of thought, sorry. But um, I, I think that's, uh, oh yeah, sorry. It was his, his comments after this game where he said that he, he claims he's changed to the manager, like he's a completely different coach to how he was when he first came to Roma and that he got a proper education here. Now, people who are like really against this sentiment of wishing uh, Fonseca farewell because they're just so frustrated with how his time here had gone would say, okay, that's great. You got an education, but Roma picked up the bill. Because, yeah. you know, it's, it's, you, know, you fall, first you fall out of the Champions League, then you, you even fall out of the Europa League. Yeah. Um, so it's been an expensive education in that sense. But I think Fonseca is giving back. I, I pointed out a few weeks ago that um, the Europa League semi final run was was worth a you know a pretty penny um as it turns out it's not worth the 100 mil that was reported that's that's the the season's total competition income of all competitions but um you know running in europe in the semi-final brings in a, a decent amount of money so it's not like fonseca just you know got his diploma um and just dumped his tuition fees on roma with nothing given back you know he he, he tried his best and uh like he said I think he would be more successful in an environment that was more receptive to sticking with the kind of football he has in mind. Um, yeah. And ho- hopefully he's carries, he carries on these lessons that he says he's learned in Rome to, 
to becoming a better manager somewhere else. Yeah, I agree. When you said an expensive education, I couldn't help but think of a uh, you know a young young person going through the university system here in the U.S. Parents paying out a, uh-huh. a whole ton of money, and uh, <laughs> then they're 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 either uh, living home without a job right out of school, or maybe they're working uh, like an hourly job trying to find that you know job they got the degree for. Kind of <laughs> just yeah. made that parallel in my mind, but. Um, that was our last listener question. We have a busy week here in the writing sense on Kiesa Utility because today we released our Fonseca farewell roundtable. Um, our, our Roma questions uh, came out today. Uh, Bren's forward review, positional review came out today. Tomorrow we have uh, Sean's review of the defense, our league-wide questions, and also a piece Sean worked on um, that's finally going up about Mourinho and Capello, the parallels there. Uh, yeah. My midfield review is coming out this week. Jonas has a, a Mourinho transfer, like... I think it's a theoretical transfer piece coming out. Um, we have our reader survey coming out. I hope if you guys haven't participated yet, check the homepage for our reader survey. Uh, those results will be out Thursday along with Jimmy's goalkeeper review. Uh, and then there's the build up to the, uh, the Feminile Coppa Italia final. So against yep. Milan. So we'll see. Busy, busy, busy week. Yeah. Um, this coming weekend, May 30th. And Steve, is that a time that's comfortable for you? EST, 2.30 in the afternoon. Uh, 8.30 <laughs> at night in, in Italy. Um, I, you, don't, you, you don't have to watch it if you don't want to, but I'm just putting it out there. It, it is at a comfortable time normally, but it is Memorial Day weekend here. I'm, I'm finally getting together okay. with some of the guys I haven't seen in a while, so it's uh, right around that time, so I probably won't be able to That's watch it live. And I don't know if it'll be on uh, Roma TV, maybe um, you know to stream afterward. If it is, maybe I could try to check it out after the fact. Um, if it's- I I'll be honest with everyone. I don't expect Roma to win it. I think mm. that the way that they've approached this match is very much like how um, Roma kind of approached the putting it, all the eggs in the Europa League basket. You know, as soon as they made the final, uh, they switched off in the league, and it was disappointing to see. And they they traditionally struggle against um, tough teams that press high, and Milan and Juve are the only two teams in the league that do that very very well. Um, Roma actually beat Juventus in the semi, so that was a surprise, and that gave us hope for the final. But the way that they've mentally switched off in the league makes me think that they're yeah. just right for Milan to be lifting the cup this weekend. But we'll see. We'll see. May 30th, if you want to check it out, uh, watch live, and they might just surprise all of us. And Roma might, might win their first trophy in the history of the club on the women's side. Yeah, and we're hope for the best. Uh, being a one-off, you never know what could happen in a one-off match like that, especially a final. Um, and then, you know, keep getting your listener questions in coming up. We should have a Euro 2020 or 21, whatever they're calling it these days, preview episode. Um, we're going to look to have a, a transfer, uh, market kind of preview from Roma's perspective. I think, uh, Bren will be on that one. Jimmy might even make an appearance on one of these episodes now that he's finishing his law school exam. So you might have the full crew on one, one or two of these episodes coming up. So, uh, get those questions in and, you know, we appreciate you listening. If you haven't subscribed yet, subscribe on all the major podcast platforms. Sean, you want any, uh, closing thoughts? I promised you, I would just say one thing about Javier Castori. He came Uh, on yesterday and he was there for 17 minutes. And in the 76th minute, he put a chance on Brian Cristante's plate that was worth XG 0.37, clear-cut chance. In the 89th minute, he put a chance on Henrik Mkhitaryan's plate that was worth no XG 0.34, clear-cut chance. In 17 minutes, Pastore just created wide-open goals for two of his teammates. Um, you know, People say sometimes we, we talk about him nostalgically and, and too wistfully. Uh, Jimmy being one of them, so I hope he gets on the podcast and we can go at it. But uh, I just think that uh, Pastore's uh, actual difference making cannot be overstated. You know, even if he comes on for 
20 minutes or so, it's still like the team is just totally transformed. It's just a shame that he couldn't stay injured. Uh, sorry, didn't uh, stay healthy. Yeah, I think that, you know, just to piggyback off that, a shame he couldn't stay healthy because the talent is there. It's just, you know, the injuries were too much for him. So uh, maybe you and Jimmy could spar a little bit about Pastore when he comes on, but we'll leave you guys with that closing thought and uh, we'll hope to see you guys back for episode 47 in the not too distant future. Oh, 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 o